You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. From the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV's Salem After Show. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest news and gossip. And now, another post-game wrap-up show for your favorite TV show. It's AfterBuzz TV's Salem After Show. going on guys we got new music today on the salem after show season one episode two entitled the stone child we're going to talk about the music later on in the show as you saw in the opening credits marilyn manson's now involved it's getting creepier in salem i'm bobby demiro joined by my two great co-hosts guys how are you today hey what's up i'm on a couple hi i'm jesse owen everybody's a little freaked out already Yes, terrified. <laughs> Season two, or excuse me, episode two, The Stone Child, no joke. Things are getting real in Salem. Before we get into it, guys, if you are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at AfterBuzz TV on every single one of those, we like to give social shout-outs. We'll do it at the end of the show for ourselves. But if you follow AfterBuzz on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, you stay up to date with everything there is there. Let's get up to date with episode two, The Stone Child. And ladies, let's start with uh, Bridget Bishop. We are introduced to her in this episode, and then life's pretty much over for her in this episode. She gets a she gets a good one episode run where a bunch of awful stuff happens to her, um, and a lot of graphic things like being thrown up on with blood and all that sort of stuff. But let's begin at the start with her. Maybe the first pivotal scene is when she confronts Mary in the church about what's going on, and we see that Bridget is um, maybe a bit of a loose cannon with her words, and Mary doesn't take too kindly to it. Oh, she's definitely willing to stand up to Mary. Yeah. Which is rare. Right. <laughs> I, I think it's like a well-known fact that you just don't speak back to her. But she makes the um, statement, Mary, you used to be poor yourself. So I think at one point maybe they were friends. Like, um, do you remember in the first episode she was walking with a group of girls? Like, we weren't. I wasn't really paying attention, but I'm almost curious to know if Bridget was one of those people. But she almost, like, shamed Mary, too. She said, uh, for once, use your position to do good for these women. I I totally agree with you. I think it was a shame thing. I think I think Bridget dug deep, because she said the words for once. And she dug deep into Mary, and she knew Mary was going to take it personally. Now, unfortunately for Bridget, she didn't know that Mary has the powers to quite literally end her life in that way. But... Bridget knew exactly what she was doing when she said that, and it was to get a rise out of Mary. It just wasn't the rise that Bridget realized she was going to get. Right. right. Now, with Bridget, um, so we see that she's a midwife. We see that she's helpful to these girls. And we see with Bridget and kind of the storylines around her, the pressure that these girls have in having a child out of wedlock, which was common for a time like that, for a community like that. But Bridget comes to every one of these girls' defense and it doesn't seem like anybody else is standing up. So is Bridget an outcast? I know, Jesse, you know a lot about her history. Is Bridget an outcast in that society more so? Or is it just that Bridget is trying to rally women around and saying, hey, this is the way society is, but we have to rally around each other. And when these girls have babies and get pregnant young, we can't just abandon them. We still need to take care of them. There has to be empathy there. I, I definitely think Bridget is a person that stands up for what she believes in. 
um, like you said about the history in real life, she was put on trial and executed, but just for simply like wearing black and wearing costumes that was against the Puritan way. So it had nothing to do with witchcraft, but I think as they're portraying her as a midwife in the show, you know, it just shows that how she stands up for what she believes in. She's helping these women deliver the babies, you know, I just, I think she just is a big believer in standing up for what she believes in. Well, I, two thoughts on this first, uh, the idea of a midwife during this time is, and you know, maybe I'm just an idiot, but this is like news to me. I, you know, cause I thought that, you know, that the Puritans sort of frowned on, you know, kissing or being even in private, like a, a man and a woman being in private together, I thought was kind of a big deal. So the idea of women having, I guess, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Midwife, I'm sorry, a midwife is not uh, unusual to me, but but a midwife who would help these these girls out of wedlock having uh, babies, just did that happen? Why weren't these girls immediately put to death? I just Yeah, like uh, the first girl in the episode... We, well, we assumed she was dead. Right. Yeah, and, and she wasn't pregnant, or at least we weren't told that she was pregnant. There was something else going on. She was doing the acts to lead yeah. into pregnancy. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. But if you're put in the stocks for that, if you, why well, would these girls still be around? So that didn't quite make sense to me. Um, also, from what I know about Bridget Bishop, that there was some confusion about who she was, actually, that, that maybe she was confused with, I'm going to say Sarah Bishop, but I could be wrong on that, too. But there was... Somebody who was from Salem Town and somebody from the village of Salem and one of them who wasn't in the village, one of them who lived in the village was married to a tavern owner or something and the other one wasn't and one of them who was accused and ultimately hanged wasn't the one, uh, the things that she was accused of, like they got the wrong person basically is what happened from what I understand of it. In real Salem. In, in real Salem. Salem. Yes, okay. They, they, they grabbed the wrong person. I think they got 20 of the wrong people in real uh, Salem. At least, yeah, <laughs> at least. Well, you know she was the first woman uh, brought to the grand jury and the first one executed. Which I think is appropriate the way that they tell this story. Obviously, we had the pilot episode, but this is the first episode where you see a trial. And I say trial with air quotations because it was pretty much a sham of a trial. But but she's the first one in real life to go to the grand jury. She's the first one to be executed. She's the first one in the show to really go through the trial process, to be hanged in that process. And we've seen them alluding to hanging people. She's the first one we see. And so you understand the process with her. And she does a, a good job and a purposeful job to show the hysteria and say, wait a minute, I didn't do this. This is ridiculous. But Cotton Mather, who's interrogating her as opposed to, oh, I don't know, the magistrate, the, the reverend is interrogating her, which tells you what's going on a little bit. Um, he keeps cutting her off. He doesn't let her finish. It was like a little mini scene out of Law and Order in a way, you know. And he keeps cutting her off and he says, you know, did you you know, help this woman give birth to this baby, and Bridget says, yes, but I, and then gets cut off, and he asks another question, cuts her off. So it's obviously the deck is stacked against her in the first place, and she has to convey sort of that hysteria that 
forces people like John Alden in the courtroom to step up and call out Reverend Mather, Cotton Mather, during the trial. Which was, to me, not only completely out of line, but I'm not sure it would have been done in real life. But here, it's John Alden once again displaying himself as the voice of reason in a in an unreasonable time. Well, Anne um, spoke out against Cotton. Is he not supposed trip. to be gone, though? Like, John Alden, did you get that? Like, she, she told, told him, him to leave. leave. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's not leaving. He's yeah. not going anywhere. <laughs> but it's like, he, she was like, you will be hanged if you don't leave. So why is he still hanging around? I think I, I, I think it's, it's what does he have to lose? You know, this is his home as much as it's anybody else's. He'll mention later in the thing about the selectmen and the name, Alden name is a selectman. But I think he's like, you know what, if I leave, I am where I am before. And I was just, you know, gone for seven years. This is my home. This is awful, and we need to change it. Um, but no, it is a huge risk for him to hang around, considering the hysteria with somebody like Bridget Bishop. And then Mary plays dirty. I mean, Mary's going to play dirty pretty much the whole season, I'm guessing. But Mary plays dirty when they take Bridget and their words on the show, the three whores, and go up to Mercy, and they have to react, or they have to have Mercy react to the witch or whatever. Clearly, the deck is rigged. Nobody knows yeah. that, but Mary. Do you see Cotton's face when his uh, his lady friend got yeah. up there? He's like, he's like, oh god. <laughs> yeah, that's an unresolved weird situation. Is Cotton? You cannot do that if you're a reverend in sixty. You can't be doing that, man. Right. <laughs> but I, the thing now, the scene where Mercy reacts to these girls, or doesn't react to the first three, and then reacts to Bridget, um, vomiting blood all over. Kind of horrifying. And then what were those nails? Those were nails, yeah. Yeah, yeah they were the nails well, from... Uh, which, it, of course, is a direct reference to Jesus being nailed mm-hmm. on the cross, and that was his sacrifice, and that's pretty much being possessed and throwing up the nails is the rejection of that sacrifice of what he did, so... Ladies and gentlemen, religious scholar Mar- Marissa Serafini. <laughs> well, I am Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I thought that I thought that was terrifying though, especially how you can see Mary's influence and it was on the person that did her wrong in a, in a way or like was one of the only people that challenged her Bridget. And so and then Mary's influence on that and having her throw up. That was a lot of blood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was that was ugh, that was disgusting, but well done. I mean, it looked good. Oh, yeah. The production value was great, but whew, that was disgusting. And I felt so bad for Mercy because you could just tell she's so miserable and exhausted and tortured and and done. Right. You know, but she's just hanging up there for all to see. And Mary's just not done with her. I still want to know what the thing between Mary and Mercy is. Like, she, it's like she's going after people she doesn't like or has beef with, but it's like, why Mercy? Like, I still want to know that. No, that's a good question. And I, maybe we'll see it down the road. Or I just wonder if it's just a convenient first person. It's a younger girl. She doesn't have much status in town. I guess her dad wasn't, like, dirt poor or anything. But she's just a young girl. We can pick her off easily, and she's just the impetus to move beyond that. Because she needs, well, we'll talk about it later, I guess, but she needs to take the ten souls, right? Yeah. Yeah, and Mercy's Mercy's number one. Poor Mercy, just being hung on that crucifix in front of everyone. I mean, that's very demeaning and demoralizing in and of itself. Interesting character name choice, Mercy, too. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. The the irony in it all is amazing. Yeah. Now, so Bridget Bishop gets thrown up on. If I'm in that situation and I get thrown up on. Now, in 1692, they didn't know about, like, diseases and stuff like we do now. But, oh, my, oh, gosh, that just horrifies me. But after she's thrown up on, she gets hanged, which from a production value standpoint, I think was another scene that was really, really good. 
um, believable and well done and simple, and there's not over overly done drama or whatever. But at the hanging, it's very quiet. They sort of do it and they go about their business and whatever. And I'm like, okay, I get it. They did make her pee on herself, though. That's a great point, which was also interesting and graphic. Yeah. But so Bridget is obviously a sign of things to come. The only interesting part of this is obviously no one knows Mary is doing this except for the other witches and Mary. So nobody else in town can be warned that, you know, don't cross Mary, don't do anything, whatever. All they know is that there's supposedly a witch in their midst. They thought it was Bridget. When they find out that there are other witches in their midst or whoever Mary makes fault of next in the next episode or in the next few weeks, this problem is just going to keep manifesting itself and nothing will get solved until we end up seeing what, what Mary and Magistrate Hale, the real witches, actually want. I don't know. I kind of, I mean, this is an early prediction, but um, I kind of think that um, something might happen between Mr. Hale and uh, Mary just because Mary's kind of going after his daughter, you know? Yeah. And I feel mm-hmm. like he's going to protect his family because he already lost his family. So now this is, you know, it's his kid. No, you're you're absolutely, and that's an interesting relationship to flesh out. Um, Before we get there, let's get to our other interesting relationship. And before we do that, let me remind you guys, if you are listening on iTunes, hit subscribe. And if you would be so kind, you're allowed to rate us. We would love a good rating, hopefully. We need some ratings. We do need some ratings. This show is popular. We've got great comments on YouTube and stuff, so I know you guys are watching and interacting. And Salem, the show itself, is doing very well. We'll talk about that later. So if you are listening to the after show or if you're on YouTube watching the after show... Hit subscribe, comment. Really, we want to talk to you guys. So if you have viewpoints, bring them on. Why and not? I would just like to thank everybody. It's a brand new show, and you have us on the top ten most downloaded at AfterBuzz. So that's awesome. So thank you. It helps yes. when you have two beautiful women hosting the show. And no comment on me, but, you know. <laughs> and it helps that we have great fans listening. I mean, that's everyone's true. been so nice. Everybody's very nice at AfterBuzz. Completely on top, <laughs> completely off topic. I did see a comment on YouTube. Somebody said they love Jesse's accent. I saw that too. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> just, just good Southern people. Whatever. All right. Um, let's move on to our second topic, which is speaking of relationships. This is an interesting one. John Alden, Cotton Mather. If you watch the pilot, they are diametrically opposed. If you watch episode two, they're unlikely friends that have to find a way to work together. But they grew up together. Yeah. So they know they have a history. They go back. So not that unlikely. They have digs. They know each other's history. So I'm not shocked by it. I was. Yeah, okay. I was shocked by it because because Cotton is such a fanatical, you know, religious nut. And I don't mean that pejoratively to people who are religious, obviously. But in this scene, in this show, he's portrayed some sort of fanatical religious guy who's very fatalistic. And John Alden is like the common sense, the, you know, let's all just take a deep breath. But they have to work together because there's something much bigger going on that neither one of them is a part of. And they just don't know what the scope is yet. Yeah, I, I think it's just because they are, yes, they are the most unlikely pairing to go, but they have the same objective, and they're looking for the same answers. So it makes sense that those two, because they have history, that they're they're they're, they're going to be the people who are going to go out and find um, whoever's taking out these women. And Isaac Fornicator, the kind of buffer between them. Right, yeah. Um, who apparently, if we've seen upcoming scenes from next week, I don't know what happens, but he may not be a buffer for long. Yeah. Um, but sort of the buffer between them and sort of the the person between knowing what John saw, knowing what the town's been like for the last seven years when John wasn't there. And so the three of them together are kind of like, 
a weird group of the Three Stooges trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> yeah. No, I like them together. But I like the Hardy Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Solving crimes. Uh, I like that Cotton is struggling so much right now. I mean, he clear he's a he's a tortured soul himself, and you know, like you said, hey, Reverend can't be doing that. He can't <laughs> be doing that. He's like quoting scripture as he's. No having having lady time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As he's fornicating, that's simple. Good, yes. Um, just weird, weird. Uh, but he answered a question that I had. I think we kind of asked the, what was going on there with the tar pits, um, and he answered. He said, he said that um, hellfire burns like fire, but it's black like pitch. That it's in fact that. Uh, the damned souls will burn like human candles. So that was a good answer yeah. to have, right? For and me. and little little yeah. does Cotton know and little does John know that what John has seen and what Cotton has researched is like right around the corner in town. The, the <laughs> right. worst of the right. worst. <laughs> right there. Um, and also he said that he uh, has been expecting the angel of death since he was 10. So that's some insight into him. Maybe she's living off of borrowed time. Right. And I'm looking forward to with Cotton, and John alluded to it a little bit when uh, they had the books there and they were doing research, and John said, you know, what does it say? And Cotton makes a crack about how John can't read Latin and all that sort of stuff. And it's sort of the schoolboy-educated Reverend Mather versus the rough-and-tumble educated street-smart John Alden. Well, when Cotton was with his, I guess we'll call her his girlfriend, I don't know, <laughs> or his, his, steady, his steady girl, whatever you want to call her, when he was with her, she was talking about don't be afraid of your father whatever, and he says, well, you don't know my father, you know. And she says, everybody does. And he says, that's the problem. I need to see Increase Mather at some point. We got to see this guy, the president, like we mentioned, the president of Harvard in real life at that time. What is he going to be like? But maybe he meant my father, the devil, or something. Oh, like a metaphorical. Yeah. Okay. Or yeah. my father and God. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But if he's been maybe. expecting, if he's been expecting the angel of death since he was 10, though. He saw something in his grandfather's eyes or something. What did he say? You got me. Oh, I don't. I goodness. missed that one. Um, he saw uh, some sort of glimpse, and I don't know. I'm not going to start. I would just be making it up. <laughs> I just would be making it up. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm going to enjoy this storyline for sure. Yeah, this is an interesting one. John obviously is not going anywhere. I know he's been like toying with it for two episodes, but we know he's not going anywhere. That's ridiculous. And Cotton can't go anywhere because he's. Uh, unbeknownst to himself and those around him and going to end up kind of being a ringleader of this hysteria more than maybe he realizes. So the two of them are going to have to figure out a way to do something in this town. I just wonder if if Cotton Mather is so fatalistic and so serious about the end times and the apocalypse, when people get like that, you start looking for signs that aren't there. And thus far, Cotton's research about the black tar pits and that sort of stuff has kind of unwittingly been correct. But at what point does Cotton go way off the rails? Everything becomes a sign. Mm-hmm. He starts trying to hang everybody, which is going to happen, and this hysteria comes up. And he becomes part of the problem, even though he may not actually be a witch. I just wish um, him and John could have, like, John could, this sounds so awful, blackmail Cotton, you know, because he caught him in the, quote, whorehouse, you yeah. know. So, like, why can't he blackmail him to Not stop making house. him... You know, do all this stuff. Like, when he sees something wrong, he can stop it. Like, the Bridget Bishop, he obviously thought that was wrong. Why couldn't he have stopped it? Now, that's a great point, because if Cotton 
and Mary Sibley with the young women, the girls who were pregnant, if people like this in town who have influence can do so much to dissuade, you know, sex and sexual whatever and, and whatnot, why can't, let's see how much influence they have. And if Cotton gets caught doing something like this, can he pull everybody off of him? Can he dissuade everybody from wanting to hang him or punish him and thereby reduce the hysteria? Mm-hmm. I don't think he can. I think he's created such a mass hysteria already that if he were to get caught, John could blackmail him if you can prove it. And if he were to get caught, Cotton would be in huge trouble and then somebody else would just take his place. He'd get a big F on his forehead. That would be something. (laughs) No beard to cover that one up. Um, Interesting. One interesting thing about the real Cotton Mather, you guys. We talked about him a lot last week. But here is something you might be interested to know. It has nothing to do with Salem. It's after Salem. The real Cotton Mather... 1692 was the year of the Salem Witch Trials, more or less. Um, In 1702, Cotton Mather is back in Boston, and he is a reverend there and doing whatever. And there was an outbreak of smallpox, which was happening at the time, a lot in a lot of places in the New World. And a couple hundred people were killed. He started talking to a slave from Africa, from West Africa, who told him a story of how in West Africa, to inoculate against smallpox, they would cut themselves open put a little bit of the virus, put blood with the virus in it, into their bodies in a manageable way so that their bodies could defeat it and they would be inoculated, like, you know, a vaccine nowadays. Right. So Cotton becomes obsessed with this, starts going around Boston telling everybody he knows and says, listen, guys, we can inoculate against smallpox. Here's how to do it. Nobody listens to him. I don't know if the Salem Witch Trials had any bearing on his reputation, but nobody listens to him. Sure enough, about 20 years later in 1725, a new smallpox you know, outbreak happens in Boston. Hundreds of people are dying. Something like 45% of Boston in 1725 got smallpox. He manages to convince one doctor to inoculate. The doctor inoculates, let me see, 242 people. Uh, The death rate in Boston at the time was over 25% for the city. The doctor inoculates 242 people. Six die. Wow. Cotton Mather, public health advocate, (laughs) 1725. Wow. So maybe the real Cotton Mather was, hey, not as bad of a guy the whole, you know, he did something good. Maybe he really did have the public interest <laughs> at heart. Ex- so, in, so in 1725, he was inoculating against smallpox. In 1692, he was just inoculating against witches. Yeah. No big deal. Not a big deal. That's interesting. I think it might have been, like, the means in which he tried to approach something. And, like, his clout, he, he's very educated man and i think it's probably his influence and in how he tried to convince people it might have been his personality that people didn't want to listen to him but it tells that he was he's a bit extreme yes but it's the way he goes about things and the means in which he goes about it and i think it's just a matter of like people listening to him and then he couldn't successfully get people to you know appreciate him during the salem witch trials but then after the fact he might have learned from that. I also get the sense, certainly the way he's being portrayed on the show, that he has something to prove to, I don't know, his father, to somebody. Yeah. But I don't really get the sense that he is this passionate about the witches or any of it. And maybe it has something to do with his lady friend. But I just get the sense he's trying to. This isn't for him. No, it's definitely not for him. I agree. With you. I think he's trying to prove to his dad that he is a capable reverend or minister or leader or whatever it might be. And knowing that his, knowing his off-hours activities with his little lady friend, I think a lot of it is trying to prove to himself 
that he's a man of God and a man mm. of religion and he's a worthwhile man. And yeah, I may do all these bad things that are sins and I shouldn't be doing this, but look at how you know serious I am about cleaning up this town and whatnot. I'm a man of God. And it's like when you evangelize on that level, like what he's doing, which in some way this is a weird way to evangelize, but it's like, who are you trying to prove it to? Me or you? And I think for him, it's, it's him. It's yeah, personal. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's move on to our third topic, the Great Right, which is first, not first mentioned, it was mentioned in the pilot very briefly, but first talked about a little, fleshed out a little bit today. Um, it's time to look at these witches and their goals and what is going on with these guys. So the Great Right, on a run this down for me, we have one soul taken was Mercy. Right. I don't, I don't know if they count the soul taken until she's physically dead, but Mercy's a goner. She's probably not coming back. She yeah. You know, it might be the baby that they're counting. Is the first. She says uh, that she must kill nine more innocents uh, for the the grand right, is what they call it. Unless the person they're counting as the first killed innocent is Giles Corey. Hmm. Giles Corey could be the first innocent. They didn't physically kill them, but they, you know, they created the hysteria to kill him. Or Mary it counts the first one. Oh, because she her was innocent. That's a great point. Her soul is mm-hmm. dead now, given to the devil and she will not. Yeah, that's a great that's actually a really good point. Well, but Mary has to kill them. So she, would she have killed her? I don't know. We'll see. I we're just going to have to find out. The facts but. we do know are they say one is dead or one soul has been taken. They need nine more and they started it at some level today with the baby, the stillborn baby, the stone child. Did they ever say it was one? I think they just said nine more have to be taken. It could have been 372, right? We it don't could know. have been. For some reason, I thought they said one. They may not have. Um, but I, but the nine more is the key. Right. And the stone child, the stillborn baby today, another great graphic scene. Holy cow. Yeah. I wonder who those witches, you know, they, they've showed that witch woman a couple of times now with Mercy and then with the baby. So I wonder when that comes out. Yes, and... Right, the hag they've they've mentioned and and was the hag what we saw when Mary looked in the mirror at herself? Oh, it could be Mary. I think, I think it was the same thing. I think it's a manifestation of like Mary or one of her creations or however that just some that witch. Goes. Yeah. Okay, so what I was going to point out is that um, we could see Tituba Tituba in in the mirror. She wasn't looking at herself, but we could see her reflection. So I don't know if that plays in at all, at all. Oh, but it was just—it was just an observation. You mean like a witch wouldn't be able to see the reflection, or it'd be a different Mary reflection? wasn't able to. Remember, she looked in the mirror and she was that gross hag thing that you were just yeah. talking about. But is that every time, or just when they're in that zone? I, I don't know. Because, it's just an know. observation. I don't—I don't think it's every time because you know Chichaba, um was standing behind Mary and they were looking in the mirror and it was them. Or maybe, I don't know. In the pilot, yeah. I do remember that. Where Tituba had her arms around Mary. That's true. That is a good point. But now, the great right. So we know there are nine souls left to be taken. The stillborn scene, aside from being freaky and creepy, it's also incredibly manipulative, not only because of Bridget, but because who is going to believe Kitty, the girl who gave birth to the stillborn baby? Who's going to believe her when she's like, they wanted to harm my baby. It was this crazy looking hag thing. Like, no one's going to believe that. And that's the beauty that they can get away with this because the town will not suspend disbelief to be like, oh, yeah, of course it was that crazy hag-looking thing. We've all seen it. It's like, no, you won't. <laughs> there's yeah, there's, there's no way to get caught. 
How do you get caught? If you are if you are Mary at this point, at least with what we've seen her capable of thus far and what the witches are capable of thus far, how would you possibly get caught? I know John Alden's going to do it, but how would you possibly get caught? I don't know. She's being really risky, like letting her... Who's the guy? What's his name again? Um, Magistrate Hale? No, her husband. Uh, what's his last name? I oh, Sibley. 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 Um, I think he might even like be the one to rat her out because he was talking in this one like normal, and I just, I don't know. She's being really brave about it. <laughs> she's getting a little cocky about that frog, and why won't she just kill him? Like, what's what's the point of leaving him alive? Well, he officially still runs the town, but wouldn't she run it after yeah, she's a woman? Well, yeah, I think it's paternal. True. So it would go down to the next man or whatever the the you know selectmen have or whatever. So she does need to keep him alive, theoretically, but it's a good point. If, if he can get strong enough, or if that frog leaves his throat, or which is an interesting choice of animal, by the mm-hmm. way, but if that frog leaves his throat or whatever happens, maybe he can be the one to talk. Because of all the people in the town, Sibley, Mr. Sibley, is really the only one who truly knows what they're capable of, because he's just witnessing it every day, and he hears them discussing it. He knows. Mm-hmm. Right. Talk about talk about goofy and weird allegiances. If he, Mr. Sibley, at some point can get back and ally himself with Cotton Mather and John, that's quite a trio. Talk about guys who did not like each other having a common goal. Yeah. And he's the one with all the information. Yeah, he knows yeah. everything. But I wonder if John like really found out who Mary was, would he run away? He like it hasn't. Yeah, well, it hasn't really said that he like even if because I mean he saw it. Now he's kind of being a believer, but he hasn't actually said anything bad about witches yet. Well, how about and Jesse? I believe you were the one to talk about this. John and Anne potentially getting romantically involved. How about that last scene mm-hmm. where they're in the tavern? She comes and sits down. There's tension there, and then he says, "You remind me of somebody I used to know," and that's the first ping to me to be like, "Well, they're clearly not in love or cognizant of that yet," but. Maybe there is some type of, you know, relationship there, whatever that word means. There's something there between those two because clearly they have similar goals and there's obviously a common ground between them on some level. So maybe something develops with those two. John realizes, you know, I'm not in love with Mary or whatever. He relinquished that silver coin to the beggar. And he says, okay, you know, now not only am I not in love with Mary, I see her as an enemy of some kind who is doing harmful things to this town. Right. Yeah, um, and Anne was drawing him. You know, that's got a... That's a good point. And he is a beautiful man. If I could draw, <laughs> I would draw Shane West, too, especially with long... He's a, he's a good-looking guy, okay? So when she was... <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to step right over that. Um, so, <laughs> so when she was drawing that picture, this her door opens, right? She's in her bedroom. It's evening. It's a lovely, just... Little evening drawing time of, of, of Captain Alden. This um, is what they did. They they didn't have Instagram in 1692. They had to draw. Right from memory. How does she know how to draw? Did she take classes? Like, oh, I assume you got to just fill they your time. All know how to draw yeah. at that time. <laughs> uh, but her door opens and she hears this clicking that we follow along her wall up the wall. She's like, cat, go away. And I'm like, this we girl is that. brave. She is brave. Because, <laughs> you know, the last episode, she's like, I'm not afraid of anything, dead or alive. Like, that's tough girl talk, you know? 
But then no, she's she's a tough chick. Yeah, she's definitely. And, and did you notice in that last scene when we see the doll has magically appeared on that dresser? She doesn't see it. She looks up and glances back down and keep drawing. And then the scene cuts and we see it. Yeah. So either a she didn't know, b she doesn't care or didn't think anything of it or whatever, or c she recognized it and just kept moving, but she didn't see it as a threat. So either she's aloof or she's not scared and she's. You know, tougher than we think. I think it was B that she didn't know because yeah. the audience she knows, knows. Yeah, which yeah. added more suspense to that and makes us creeped up. And knowing that she's um, might be in peril, that and we know it, but she doesn't. Yeah, and it's an interesting yeah. choice for a female character portrayed in that time because a lot of female characters in that situation with a creaking door. How many horror movies have we seen where they go running out or they go to explore or something yeah. bad happens? Well, she just sits on her bed. She got stuff to do. Yeah. yeah, but the sound done design was used effectively for us because it was cr- just creepy enough for us to, you know, be yeah. in that state that oh something's wrong here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts, guys, before we do news, gossip, predictions, all that stuff. It's a crazy episode. I it think was. Yeah. Every episode is going to get more and more um, out out there and craziness. I'd be <laughs> That's in, all I can say. I'd be interested to see the crossover between this and, like, American Horror Story. Yeah. Because, you know, thematically, witches are different from... Although American Horror Story did do a season on witches. Um, but the blood, the guts, the special effects, all that kind of stuff. I see this and I'm like, I'm watching American Horror Story again. And it's a good thing. This is awesome. It's really well done. Right. In, in a weird way, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I like how... I'm. Like I said last time, I'm just interested how every week we see a new character and it's like it relates to the the past. Like, they're kind of not using the same stories, but kind of. They're given their own twist. There's one more character we need to talk about, and that's Petrus. Is that the... The blind guy. Yeah. In the woods. Right. And they said, (laughs) who is that guy? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who is that guy? We don't know a lot about him. We just know he can't see, and yet they call him the seer. The seer. Um, The irony in that is pretty cool, too. (laughs) It's very cool. And then not only that, but he's the one who has all these supposedly stuffed or, you know, taxidermy, you know, whatever, um, uh, animals, like the lizard, and yet he just magically makes them come to life. So... But he has to be, like, one of them or something because he knows that they're witches. Like, For sure. I mean, you wouldn't just tell anybody that. And, for sure. And he's living out in the woods on his own, and he's moving his camp, like they alluded to. So he's somebody who doesn't want to be seen at all. And obviously, next season or next episode, we're going to see if he can come through with who the, who was, who disturbed the circle, which he'll well, say Well, in is, the previews, it said he sees Isaac the fornicator, yeah. but I wonder why he doesn't see John Alden. That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. <laughs> I just really quickly want to touch on, uh, we kind of said something last week, but just, um, you know, John Alden's character, you know, cursing so much, um, but particularly this episode, um, you know, using Jesus Christ as a curse, I just find so unbelievable in that time. In 1692, that might get you hanged in Puritan New England. Right? <laughs> Yeah. I feel like it would definitely get you hanged. Well, John Alden does what he wants. I don't feel like that's believable. What do you think? I don't know. I don't even know if they cussed back then. I think it might have been a different form of For cussing, sure. but <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think it's kind of strange, but maybe the writers are trying to keep us 
like connected to our generation to help us understand it a little more. Kind of like Cliff's Notes for Shakespeare. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good way to put it. I was actually thinking about this the other day, doing a little bit of prep for this. And if you want to watch a documentary on Salem, there are plenty of good ones. We could go watch documentaries on Salem. And we have. I mean, they're interesting. But this is a scripted, you know, theatrical show. Take liberties. I'm okay with it. A couple years ago, I might have said something different, but as I evolve as just a television watcher, I'm like, you know what? Take some liberties with what Cotton's doing with his girlfriend, with how John talks. You know, as long as you're more or less true to an interesting storyline, I'm okay with John cussing a little bit. I know it's weird. I agree with you. But I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in that. I would like, you know, we'd love to hear from some people who see what they have to say at home, but I'm okay with it. Speaking of which, John Alden, you asked about his father last week, John Alden Sr. Mm-hmm. John Alden Sr. was on the Mayflower and one was the group of the first people to come over on the Mayflower, you know, in early 1600s. And he signed the Mayflower Compact, which created the Mayflower Colony, the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So this is how far back the Alden name goes in real life. In real life, John Sr. just died of old age. I think he was 90 years old. I don't know if it's going to come into play in the show like we talked about last mm-hmm. week. If he's avenging his father's death or something weird, or they take a liberty with that. But in real life, he signed the Mayflower Compact, lived in the colony for his whole life, died, I think it was four or five years before the Salem Witch Trial, so he just missed it. Oh, did you um, read anything about his mother? Because he talks about his parents. That's a good question. His mother also came over on the Mayflower. Her name was, as I just lose my notes here, um, here we go. His mother was Priscilla Mullins. Um, Her entire family perished. Everybody but her died in the first winter when the Mayflower came over, which was true of most of the Mayflower's voyagers. They were not ready for the harsh winter in New England. Most of them died. Priscilla lived. She ended up marrying John. They had like eight or nine kids, including the John Alden that we know and a bunch of other kids. Um, And then she just died of old age, too. They say, because records were so bad at that point, when I was reading up on her, they said she died sometime between 1660 and 1687. And I said, oh, well, cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, they just don't know. They don't have records. But but she theoretically just lived a normal life, too. So if 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 the story, if Salem takes liberties with that, we'll see if he ends up truly avenging his parents. In real life, there apparently was nothing to avenge. So. Uh, uh, last topic, sorry, one more thing. I, are we going to find out why uh, Magistrates Hale's um, family was burned at the stake? That's a good point, because that's a new world versus old, old world witch problem. Um, and as we were talking about off camera, we were wondering about new world witches, and Anna points out, she's like, you guys, Mary's only been a witch for like seven years. And we were like, oh my God, of course. <laughs> Thank you for keeping us honest, Anna. Yeah, that's, I don't remember that being that much of a conversation, but um, but no, I, 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 that'll be something interesting to find out because there's this tension between New World and Old World witches, between Mary Sibley and whoever else, Tituba, I don't know, and Magistrate Hale and some of these old ones who supposedly know better. So there's a lot of conflicts going on even between allies, whether it's allies John and Cotton who are fighting and fighting with each other. Or it's allies, Magistrate Hale and Mary, who are fighting and fighting with each other. So, we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Let's move on to news and gossip. After Buzz TV News. 
All right, we've got three pieces for you guys. The first one's the biggest one. If you notice the opening credits, Anna, your favorite singer now is the opening title song on this show, right? How did you know that Marilyn Manson is my favorite singer? I just, I had a feeling. You just look like a Manson girl. I am a Manson girl. <laughs> it's so weird that you knew that. Maybe not. I have a feeling she's lying. But in any event... <laughs> I don't know what just happened. But. <laughs> In any event, Marilyn Manson is the title uh, opening title credit singer. The opening title song is his. It is called Cupid Carries a Gun. So you guys will get to see that theoretically the rest of the season. He's got a new record coming out. So maybe we should bring him in to talk about Salem. That would be something. Maybe he should debut his album on After Buzz. I like, I like the way you think. <laughs> Perform it right here. Yeah. Number two, uh, Salem's premiere numbers keep climbing up. We'll get the ratings for this week's show next week, but last week's show keeps climbing, including reshowings over the entire week. They're up over 3.1 million total viewers. We said last week it was the best performance in seven years. WGN has now revised that and said Salem in the opening night was the best performance in the last 13 years on the network. Nice. Good for them. I wish they would just make it available to every channel, though, because I know Time Warner cable people, you don't have the channel. <laughs> Great point, because WGN only has something like 70 million, where your average cable station has 95 million or whatever it is. So they're still performing well, even though they're 20, 25, 30 million people short of what they would want to do to compete with AMC and, and you know mm -hmm. the big three and, and channels like that. Interesting stuff. And our last piece of news and gossip... Shane West, our favorite guy, talked to Yahoo TV this week about Salem, about what's coming up. Gave a lot of teasers. He said the episodes get crazy, by the way. Wouldn't give anything specific. There is one note that I wanted to talk with you guys about. He's got long hair in this. It is a wig. They started with hair extensions. As you can tell, I've never had hair extensions. I don't know if you guys have ever had them, but Shane West had to say about them, quote, I tried to do something with extensions. I grew my own hair out long enough that I could put in extensions. Instead of putting on the wig, I only survived a week with the extensions before a couple fell out and drove me crazy. He went on to say if he had a daughter or a sister or his girlfriend or whatever, he would never let them wear hair extensions because they were hell. Is he right? I don't know. My hair is real, so I don't I don't know. Yeah, I've never worn extensions. I but, I mean, I have friends that wear them, and it seems like a lot of trouble. And I can't imagine, like, a guy having to do it, but... At least, you know, I like it when men get to experience, um, you know, what it's like to be a woman, all the pains we go through. Now he knows. Yeah. <laughs> I heard nothing good about extensions, obviously. Yeah. Well, no, Shane West good. apparently yeah. is the biggest expert. I, I do have to say, if I have one criticism about this show, it's that the hair pieces are very bad. Really? Yeah. Like on who specifically? Hail. I feel that... <laughs> I feel that all of the hair pieces are very bad. Uh... That's my only criticism. I feel like they just went all out for everything set in costume, but just cut the budget right at hair. Hmm. I wouldn't have even noticed. That's the difference maybe between a woman and a man. I'm just like, hair is like the last thing on my mind. But I think people back, wear, yeah, yeah, but I think it's like back in that time that, you know, uh, hygiene wasn't as big as it is now today. So I think people would be more scraggly and more scruffly back then. So maybe more unkempt, longer hair is actually understandable why they would have that. But did you notice that it's a hair piece? It's like the George no, Washington I don't think hair about piece. It, but, yeah. but one can only do so much. Yeah. TV show. Magistrate, Magistrate Hale does have that George Washington going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Um, all right, guys. Well, let's move to predictions. And now, your After Buzz TV predictions. Who would like to begin? 
I'll start. Do it. Um, obviously, I'm pretty sure Isaac the Fornicator's going to die or something big's going to happen. I can predict that. And I also want to predict, you know, I said it before, I think um, they're going to try to say Anne is possessed because, you know, all this stuff's happening to her, which they try to say about the other females that stuff happened to. I think they're going to say she's possessed. Mary's going to go along with it just because she doesn't want Anne and John messing around. But I think Magistrate Hale's going to have to pick, like I said before. Interesting. Anna? Uh, I think we're going to meet some of Giles' family next episode. <laughs> wow. Just keeping it open. Just keeping it open. All right. Giles' family. Interesting. That'd be okay. Because cool. in real life, we talked about last time, you know, his wife got hung, so now that all that's left is his kids, really. Yeah, his kids with his land, so theoretically they're still in town. So it'd be like a uh, Magistrate Hale thing. Like, he was the only one left because he said he tasted the ashes of his family burning at the stake. Interesting. My prediction will be that Mary. Let's review what we know about Mary and John's relationship. John gives up his silver coin to the beggar girl. Mary is caught wearing her silver coin, which implies she still right. feels something for him. I think Mary, there will be a time of reckoning, perhaps, I guess you'd say, a come-to-Jesus moment. Interesting terminology for Mary. But she's going to have a come-to-Jesus moment about how she gave up her soul to do this and whether or not that was a huge mistake and she's actually in love with John and she wants to stop doing all this and leave with him. I don't think she'll be allowed to leave with him. But she's going to have a serious moment of how much she's in love with John and what that means for her future as a witch and whether all the dreams she talked about as a witch are actually her dreams or if she just made a huge mistake and wants to get back with John. I think she made a huge mistake. And if it's Tituba's dream, it seems like it's a lot of her dream, too. Yeah. My, my question is, is Mercy still on the crucifix? Is she still being hanged? Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about like her whole uh, real story behind her character, but... Um, my thing is, what if Mercy like comes to and she starts acting normal again? That she might be able to point out Mary. She might be behind everything. Interesting. So Mary would somehow lose her power over Mercy, and over Mercy, Mercy could yeah. call her out. Yeah. If Mercy I, comes around in some way, if she like just starts again being normal. Last last week, I said that I, I think that Mercy at some point is going to be become a, an adversary for, for yeah. Mary. Yeah, I think Mercy might be a person to help in Mary's downfall. That would be something. I agree. Yeah. Totally that'd, agree. that'd be a nice twist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as we get going, before we give out social links, remember, if you are on iTunes or YouTube, whether you're listening or watching, hit subscribe. Follow us everything there and follow AfterBuzz TV everything. You can also go on AfterBuzzTV.com for all the episodes of Salem and a whole lot of other stuff. As we get out of here, guys, social links, Twitter, Instagram, where can people find you? Okay, well, you can follow me at Cobble for Mayor, K-O-P-P-E-L-F-O-R-M-A-Y-O-R. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Jesse Owen. Cobble for Mayor and Miss Jesse Owen. I am at Bobby DeMuro on Twitter. Tweet us, guys. We want to hear from you. Last week, we got a ton of good links from folks giving us history about Titaba and some other people. So thank you very much for the links. Thank you for the comments. Keep it up. We want to hear from you guys. That's it on Season 1, Episode 2, The Stone Child, here on the Salem After Show on AfterBuzz TV. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After Shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. 
I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.